olacak. Niyet <gülüyor> var. The makeup lady is coming down. The makeup lady is. Uh, what about hair? I don't have that problem anymore. Come on. All right. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast in the class. Today's breakfast in class on Yomatz Mode is dedicated by AJ Gindi in honor of Jimmy Haber and Joe Shatrit. They are lifesavers and transplant sponsors. May the act of saving a life serve as a source of protection and success for them and their families for many years to come. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated for the speedy and complete refuah of Chaim Tzadok Ben Mazal, sponsored by Fortune Weiss. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated for the speedy and complete refuah of Yitzchak Ben Miriam. The week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good, substantial capacity to do good today and every day. And finally, breakfast in the class today is dedicated in loving memory of Joseph Murano, Alava Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Yosef Ben Bahir, Alava Shalom and his Azkara, sponsored by the Murano family. My friends, I saw that breakfast today was sponsored by the Murano family and uh, it reminded me of something which I think is really what I wanted to speak about today. You know, um, this, this uh, day, uh, Yom Atzmud in Israel, is a day that's celebrated nationally and internationally as a day celebrating and marking uh, the time or the day where uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, gave us this miracle called Eretz Israel. He enabled forces that were uh, under, uh, uh, they were under, they, the numbers were underwhelming, their arms, were underwhelming, their position was underwhelming, they were being attacked from all sides, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, allowed us, gave us this gift of Eretz Israel, where at the time of the, of the British mandate, you're talking about uh, roughly 650,000 Jewish people living in, in Israel uh, at the mandate, and now you're talking about over, uh, over nearly 7 million, I believe the number is, uh, in Israel. It might actually have climbed above that number recently. We are now reached a time in history uh, where the Jewish people have more Jews in the land of Israel than anywhere else uh, in the world. So there is a larger number of Jews in Israel than there are outside of Israel. And that has been something which we have been waiting for since the time of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Now again, whatever your opinions are about what, you know, how a person celebrates this day or doesn't celebrate it, to deny that miracle is a chutzpah, is a slap in the face of God Himself. So on this day, when we look at the fact that a person can study Torah in Eretz Israel, we look at the fact that Jewish communities have been allowed to go there, we look at the fact that uh, even if a person is unsafe in whatever country, that they have a place to be able to escape to, dayenu, as we say on the story, in the story of the Haggadah, what a celebratory thing uh, that in and of itself must be. However, I want to go one step further. You know, they celebrate in, uh, or mark in the uh, eve before coming to Yom Ha'atzma'ut, there's a day called Yom HaZikaron, yesterday. And on Yom HaZikaron, it's a day where we mark and remember all of the soldiers that died in the line of active duty. And yesterday in Jerusalem, on the walls of the old city, um, uh, what's it called? There was the names of the Jewish soldiers that have been killed in active duty since the time of 1948. And the names just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. I don't know if anyone saw the video of this yesterday. Did anyone see this? 
And I was just reminded of the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Yushalayim. On your walls, O Jerusalem, shomrim kol kol did I set shomrim guards day and night. And this, um, this unbelievable concept um, that there are people who paid for this gift with their life, literally with their life, with the, the lives of their children. We read after, as is the custom over here, we read the Mizmoreh Tehilim that make up the body of Halil. We read it over here in the Beit Knesset at the end of Tefillah. Not in the place where it's, uh, it's instituted on a day where it's instituted with the, by the Chachamim, but at the end of the Tefillah. And at the end of, the, at the end of one of the uh, Mizmoreh Tehilim there that we read, we say a special line, Ema banim simecha, hallelujah. Mother of sons is, rejoices, she's happy, Hallelujah, praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I was thinking, and I can, never, I can never stop myself from thinking on Yom HaZikaron and on a day like this about a woman whose name is Miriam Peretz who loses a child in the line of duty. She loses two children um, in the line of duty. She, her first son dies, and the, the law, as I mentioned in Israel, is that after one of your children, Bar Menan, dies in the line of duty, the rest of the children are pardoned from serving in the service in Tzahal. And the reason is because they say, Why should any mother have to lose more than one? Even one is too much to ask. But her children came forward and they said that they saw it as a, uh, as a valuable thing, as a thing to be proud of. And they said that they were going to volunteer for service. And then her second son passes away. My friends, everybody here should read uh, the article that, that I'm uh, referencing but there's an article that literally makes my hair stand up, recognizing that the great things that we appreciate in life, they require, they require tremendous sacrifice. You want to have Eretz Israel? the Gemara tells us, Eretz Israel niknit biyisurin, is acquired only with yisurin, with pain, with difficulty. And I still remember when I moved to Israel as a young man to, to study Torah, I lived there almost for 10 years, two years single, then I returned back as well, lived there for another uh, uh, six and a half years, you know, married, etc., etc., some time in between, so maybe eight, 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 between almost nine years I lived there uh, straight in a row, besides for all the times that we've gone to visit. But um, I remember going there, and what was amazing was, we, uh, as we were traveling, I got a phone call. And the phone call was from the man who was renting us our apartment in Yerushalayim in Ma'alot Dafna. And he said, I'm really sorry to tell you, but unfortunately, the apartment that we agreed that you would be renting, I've rented it out to some yeshiva boys. <laughs> now they realize, these these guys who own apartments, that if you subdivide an apartment and rent it to five guys or six guys and put a guy in every corner, right, you can make more money from rent than if you rent it to a couple of two people. So it's a small apartment. The guy decided on the, maybe it was the day we were flying. I have all my stuff packed. I'm all dressed up like they say, with nowhere to go. So my friends, I'll give you just the example of, I just want you to understand what happened. We at the time, the, 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 the tickets that were cheap enough that we could afford were through uh, air, uh, Turkish air through Istanbul. Hava Yolari is the uh, brand uh, strap line of uh, Turkish air. So we flew Turkish from America to, uh, to, to Istanbul. And from Istanbul, we were connecting to Jerusalem. 
So I'm on Turkish air. My wife is like, what are we going to do? I was like, don't worry, it's going to be okay. We get to edits. We get to Turkey. I had a copy of, an Isra- of a Jewish or Israeli newspaper, and I had in the classifieds different apartments that were for rent. So in between the flights, we didn't have much time. I quickly ran and I bought myself an international credit card, an uh, international calling card. Remember those? You stuck them in the wall, right? And it had 60 credits. I was like, okay, I'll make some phone calls. So I found one apartment that looked that we could actually afford, that we could rent. We were going to rent it by, uh, you know, by the, by the day, by the week, until we found somewhere to live. So I get to the telephone. I stick my card in and uh, I'm talking to the guy, you know, it's already late at night. The guy, he didn't want to answer. He answers the phone after I called two, three times. I told him, look, I'm desperate. Otherwise, I wouldn't be calling you so late. My apartment got canceled right before our flight. We're flying. We have nowhere to go. Um, please, is there any way I can rent your apartment? The guy's like, look, I'm really sorry. There's people in the apartment while he's telling me that the apartment's not clean and he doesn't want me to come that night uh, to stay in his apartment. I look at my credits on the credit, on the card. And I see that as he's talking, it's going 11, 10, 9. It was one credit per second, ya makshimam. <laughs> so this whole conversation had to last less than a minute. Anyway, so I realized I have 10 seconds left. I said, listen, I don't care about the state of the apartment. Strip it. Even if we have to sleep on apartments with no beds with no, with no sheets, we'll sleep on them. Just know, we are coming no matter what. Don't worry, whatever state it's in, it's fine. Click, I run out of credits. The guy didn't even have time to answer me. I look at my wife. I was like, I have to go get another card. We got to call the guy back. My wife says, honey, the flight, they're already closing boarding. If we don't get on the flight, it's not going to matter. We'll be stuck in Istanbul. It's the last place in the world you want to be stuck. Okay? We get on the plane. I still have no idea if, if we're actually going to be able to get there. I still remember it was a tiny apartment right around the corner from Zichron Moshe, which was, by the way, as a young man, the best place to pray. To live is a place where you have 24 hours a day menyanim. So whatever time you woke up late, you, you always have mincha, always have arbi, you're trying to do shalom, bai, your wife needs you for a few extra minutes, no, wor- no worries, there's 400 more minyanim for mincha, you know, about a stone throw from your apartment. Okay? So we get in the car, we drive to, the, to this place, I don't know, it's already 12.30 at night, I don't even know if the guy's up, I don't know if there's an apartment, we get into this place. My friends, we moved from that apartment to another apartment, and from that apartment, in my, to another apartment in Haranof. And from that apartment to another apartment. My friends, it was a nightmare. And my wife said, in one of the apartments that we had to stay in, one of these temporary apartments as we're draining the little savings we have for, on temporary apartments, she says to me, Shlomo, we just saw a tarantula in our apartment. We've moved from place to place. <laughs> this, is God telling us not to stay here? You know, sometimes things go wrong again and again and again. What do you learn? Hashem's telling you, you're making the wrong move, right? I said to her, the Gemara says, Eretz Israel, Niknit B'Yisurin. It's acquired in suffering with difficulty. And in fact, I just said this just now to my son-in-law who moved there. I said, if you got to acquire Eretz Israel and it was easy, it's a sign that you did not acquire it at all. And what you're doing is borrowing it, renting it, but you've not actually got a piece of Eretz Israel. My friends, 
This name, as I said, triggered the thought. There was a man whose name was Emmanuel Moreno, very famous in Israel. He was a soldier in, uh, in Tzahal. And he was someone who was very, very uh, committed to his values and very committed to his land. And he did not feel that those two things should be a contradiction. So he was a tremendous inspiration for all the soldiers around him, always kind of helping them do more mitzvot, helping them grow, helping them learn. And there's one conversation that he has um, with a soldier. And how do we know about this conversation? Unfortunately, Emmanuel Moreno was tragically killed in battle. And at the Shiva, a man, a secular Israeli soldier, walks in the door and says to Emmanuel Moreno's wife, he says, I'm so sorry for your loss. I want to share with you a conversation that we had in a helicopter flying into battle just recently. And the impact it made, your husband's words made on me. We're sitting in this helicopter and Emmanuel turned to me and said, if God forbid there had been some accidents recently at the time with helicopters and, and Israeli soldiers, uh, you know, being shot down or being malfunctioning or whatever it was. And he said to this man, he says, if we realized that we were hit or that the, the helicopter was going down and you had five seconds left to live your life, what would you do with that five seconds? How, do you know how you would spend those five seconds? This secular Israeli soldier says to the, to the widow of Emmanuel Moreno. And he said, he says, I said, I don't know. I have no idea. Five seconds, I'd probably be screaming. I don't know, I'll yelling, crying. Emmanuel says, that's not how I would spend my last five seconds. He says, I would spend my five seconds in a different way. And maybe you should as well. I would spend the last five seconds of my life saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Because if five seconds of life doesn't mean anything, then your whole life doesn't mean anything. Because your whole life is made up of tranches of five seconds. If you can't make every small amount of time valuable, then your time as a whole is not valuable. And he tells this, the wife of Emmanuel, he says, I'm so sorry for your loss. I want you to know what an inspiration your husband was to everyone in our Plugat, everyone in our division. And since that time, I've started saying Shema all the time. I've started praying. I've started learning and growing in his, in his memory. Moreno. But my friends, Yoma Zikaron and Yoma Asma would stand on opposite sides of the spectrum. Because to me, there's a story about Moreno, a story about a Jewish soldier who fights as a Jewish soldier is supposed to. In the Torah, we read about how the soldiers of Am Yisrael were given inspirational, motivational speeches by the Kohen Mashuach Milchama. There was a special Kohen whose job was he was anointed to be the Kohen of war. The Kohen that would uh, inspire faith in the hearts of the Jewish soldiers. He would try and teach them to do it in the way that it was supposed to be done. In the Jewish Bible, in the Torah, it's written that you don't attack a place unless you first offer them shalom, you offer them peace. You don't attack aggressively uh, to conquer, you attack only defensively. That's not what Am Yisrael is there for, not to conquer the whole world. That was never a national ambition of our people, even when we were at our strongest, even when we were at our wealthiest. 
We just wanted more than anything to be left alone, to be able to practice our beliefs and our religion. My friends, this soldier, Moreno, stands in complete contradistinction to another term, a name of a family that's dedicated today, a name called Morano. The origin source of that name, Moranos, is in Spain. It was a derogatory term that the Christians in Spain, under Ferdinand and Isabella, that they called the Jewish defectors. They were called Moranos or pigs. And the reason why they were given that name was because at the time, under Torquemada in 1492, the chief inquisitor of the Inquisition, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella got together and decided that anyone that was not living in Christian law, following the laws and the beliefs of uh, Yeshu, uh, they, would, they would burn at the stake. They had a chance to leave. But if you stayed and you pretended that you weren't Jewish in order to save your life, or maybe you have a father who's elderly who can't travel, you won't leave them. They were branded morales. They were tortured with unspeakable tortures in torture chambers where they would, again, we don't need to go into the horrible details of what they would do uh, to Jews in order to elicit confessions. And then they would burn them publicly at the stakes called auto de face. In the, in, the, in the town square in Toledo, it's still, it's marked. You could go there today and see these, uh, these horrible sites where people, Jews, died. Al-Kidush Hashem. Think about this today. The journey from Morano to Moreno. Morenu is a terminology that we use when you're describing a great Talmud Chacham, someone that teaches you something. And Emmanuel Moreno indeed was Morenu. He taught us a tremendous lesson. He taught us with his life and with his service that if there's something valuable, you sacrifice for it. And if there's something that is required, you give and you pay the ultimate price for that thing. That's what we learned from the Moranos. My friends, we are not living in Eretz Yisrael currently. L'tza'arenu harav. Bezat Hashem, we should all be there soon. But our Sifarim tell us that Eretz Yisrael, very similar to the song, is something called a New York state of mind. You remember that song? I'm in a New York state of mind, right? There's a New York state of mind. There's also an Eretz Yisrael state of mind it's not the same tune as that okay but what what does that mean in Eretz Israel's state of mind our rabbis teach us that every bit Knesset on earth has within it uh, an element of the Kiddushah of the Beit HaMikdash in fact our Bateknesiot are called Mikdash Me'at a small holy sanctuary the Gemara tells us that in the time of Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, the Batek Nesiot, the synagogues from all around the world will be transported to Eretz Israel. I did not understand what that meant until I went to the home of Douglas and Joyce Jamal in New, in New Jersey. And as uh, we went to this house, we went there for an event. We were fundraising for the Beit HaKneset, uh, for Chazak, you know, in the summer. And, uh, and Joyce points to this like house that they have in the backyard. And she says, this, was, this used to be something where the lifeguards had on the beach. I said, what do you mean, the beach was still here? She said, no, we thought it was very nice. So they took the whole house, and they lifted it up, and they brought it over here, and they put it in our property. It's magnificent, by the way, it looks gorgeous. But my friends, 
That means I learned and I looked at that and I thought to myself, because that's how my brain works. I see something, I associate it with what I've learned in Torah. It was, oh my gosh, Hashem's going to use the same contractor. They're going to take poles underneath the Edmund J. Safra synagogue and they're going to lift it up and you're going to see flying through the air. I don't know if they're going to put it on boats. I'm a little bit nervous with the supply chain issues, but they're going to move the entire synagogue. Could you imagine we get to Eretz Israel and we'll still be praying in these hallowed halls? That's its purpose. In fact, my father-in-law said to my mother-in-law, they have a Bet Knesset in their basement in Muncie, and they've had it for years and years. And when they did renovations in their house, my mother-in-law said, look, we've been having them here for years and years. Let them get their own shul ready. And my father-in-law said to my mother-in-law, he said, didn't we put in all this money to the renovation? She said, yes. Isn't it beautiful? Don't you love the house the way you designed? She said, yes. He said, well, if we keep the shul in the basement and they move all the shuls, that means they're going to have to move our house Israel. You want to live in a two-by-two two apartment in Jerusalem? Or you want to live in the house you designed? My mother said, you're right. So the shul is still there, okay? My friends, sometimes you sacrifice. Having a synagogue in your house is not easy. I grew up with a synagogue in my house. But you know what? It means that your house gets to Eretz Israel. My friends, this idea, I say it in a pithy way, but it's, it's, it's a mashal for our lives as well. If a person builds in their house, as we learned in the Pesukim relating to the sanctuary, where do you build a mishkan? Where do you build a mikdash? Every person builds a mikdash, a mishkan in their hearts. That's where you build it. That means that there's a piece of Eretz Israel that you build into your heart, into your mind. What is Israel? What is it? What is this state of mind? Why is it so important? Why do we have to die for this place? You know, I'm sure we could get land in Montana, in Nevada, which would be cheaper, which would be less fighting over. We could turn, we could make that desert bloom. Why do we got to have soldiers die? Eretz Israel. Why do we have to have this land? What is its importance? My friends, Eretz Israel carries within it every single street, every single alley has the stories and the heritage and the tradition of our people. To understand that when you're walking in the tunnel tours and they uncovered a, a thoroughfare that was part of the shuk that was there in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, that means you're walking literally in the footsteps of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, of Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel, about Rabbi Gamliel, of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. So when you're reading the Mishnah, it's not something that's disconnected, that's not a part of you. You're connected, it's your story. All the soldiers, when they captured Jerusalem, were crying at the Western Wall. Not just the religious ones. There's something about the streets, about the stones, about the earth of Eretz Israel. It has been our ancestral home for thousands and thousands of years. We didn't get it like the media would like you to believe uh, after the Holocaust as a consolation prize given by white people ignoring the rights of brown people. That narrative is such a false narrative being pushed by the liberal left. Don't buy it. Go show me the history of other people in this land like we can show you in every excavation, in every place that they dig, you'll find artifacts from Am Yisrael that go back hundreds and thousands of years. My friends, you know what we're fighting for? We're fighting for our story. We're fighting for our security.
We're fighting to be able to have a place that bottom and nine, if people ever want to kill Jews again, want to banish Jews again, if ever there's another Murano, if ever there's another Ukraine, if ever there's another Germany, if ever there's another place of persecution where Jews have nowhere to go, they turn up to Eretz Israel. And you know what you need to prove? You don't need a documentation. You don't need to get a green card. You don't need to show that you invested in 17 buildings. You need to show that you're Jewish. And if you're Jewish, you have a home there. We are blessed, my friends, to be a generation that does not appreciate Israel. And I say that very carefully, and unfortunately, with great gratitude to God. I am grateful that all of us are not grateful for Israel in enough, in enough in, in, to the measure that we should be. Because we have not lived in our lifetimes through an experience where that would literally be the difference between life and death that you had an exit strategy. How many lives would have been saved during the Holocaust if there was a country that said Fadal, instead of America saying no, Australia saying no, Canada saying no, all the great democracies of the world. By the way, the, the Statue of Liberty stood in this harbor when the president of this country said no thank you to our immigrants and our refugees. So we are, we are grateful to God that we do not know how grateful we need to be to be able to have a place to call home. And yes, that is worth suffering for, protecting, bleeding over. Miriam Peretz, after losing two of her sons, is still a proud mother, doesn't regret. She regrets the sacrifice that they had to make, but she understands its value, its worth, and is proud of that sacrifice. I will end with one piece that she says, and may it be a, uh, an ilui nishama for her two sons. After her first son was killed in an explosion, the friends of, this, of her first son brought back a stone from that place, a rock from that place, and it was blackened by the force of the explosion. And she held this rock on her, in her pocket, on her person, all the time to remember her son and the sacrifice he made and the hero that he was. And then a while later, they brought her back another stone from the same place. But this stone, she said to the press, she said, was white. And she said, I experienced in these two stones in my hand a terrible tragedy that was. But then the rains came and washed it away. And what we were left with was something beautiful and something clean. She said, when Mashiach comes, I will take these two stones and the stone from my second son, from the site of where he was killed, where he was murdered as well. And they will become the stones, the foundation of the third Beit HaMikdash. I will throw my stones down in there. Even ma'asu abonim ayeta lerosh pina. My friends, Be'ezrat Hashem we should be zocheh. Umacha Hashem elokim dim'ame al kol panim. All the people, all of the hifkadati shomrims, all of the guardians of Am Yisrael and of Eretz Yisrael um, <coughs> should be given their due reward and their due recompense in this world and the next. Their families should experience nechama, but more than comfort, pride, they should experience a joy in knowing that their children made their best, not just of five seconds, 
but of all of their life through their sacrifice. And Be'ezrat Hashem, those sacrifices should lead us closer and closer by creating a country where a Jew can be free, can study Torah, can keep mitzvot, can pray at the Kotel. Be'ezrat Hashem, we should be zocher to see uh, the final redeeming of Eretz Israel and of, er of Yerushalayim, uh, not just like in 48, not in 67, not in 73, but in our days, a rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, a rededication of the Temple, a reunification of all of Am Yisrael in Eretz Israel. Bimhera v'yamenu. Amen. Rabbi Chananya ben Akasha Omer, Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zukot Israel, Lefikach Yibalayim Torah Metzot Shnei Amar, Adonai Chafetz Ma'atzeko, Yadir Torah Ve'adir.